Hello, podcast legends, back with another episode today. It is freaking freezing here in Victoria. We are halfway through December now, so I think that technically means we're a quarter of the way into summer, and it is snowing up on the hills today. I've got my beanie on in my office. It's freaking freezing. Outrageous. But the upside of that is there'll be some moisture on the trails. So looking forward to getting out on the trails in the next couple of days and making the most of a bit of a bit more rain, which I guess you really can't complain about when it's summer. Um, not, a, not a bad thing, but geez, tell you what, I'm looking forward to some heat, that's for sure. Anyway, into this episode. So today we're going to talk about heavy strength training, what I consider it to be for off-road racing and how you can best train it. I know I, if you follow me on social media, which I'm sure you do if you're listening to this podcast, I bang on about lifting heavy a lot, and I am aware that that could potentially be a little bit off-putting or almost scary to some people when they think about lifting heavy. Often people have these visions or thoughts of the gym fail videos of people they're blowing their back out doing a crazy deadlift or their knees exploding on a 500 pound leg press or whatever it might be some of the stuff that gets around on social media these days however to improve the skill that we're looking to improve to the level that we need it for racing off-road we don't need to go to the extreme ends of the spectrum so i guess firstly what you it's important to understand is strength is a marathon not a sprint i've talked about this a lot but you wouldn't go out on your dirt bike um go to Redbud and jump larocco's leap in on the first day on your bike it's probably going to end pretty badly and there's going to be a trip to hospital. Same thing on your strength training journey. You're not going to go into the gym, throw 200 kilos on a barbell, and and try and squat it or deadlift it. It's not going to end well. So it's the same thing. We need to treat the journey with respect, with respect, and there's a process that we need to follow. So what, like what the human body is capable of is freaking amazing like there's this very very broad spectrum of strength and what is actually heavy where we sit on that scale as off-road athletes what i believe we need where we need to be to be able to dominate a dirt bike for three hours and and handle the forces that are generated in that process of riding a 100 kilo bike at like up to 100k an hour or more into and over these obstacles where that actually sits on the scale of what humans are actually capable of we're like down the lower end of that spectrum like when you look at elite power lifters elite olympic lifters like they're lifting three and four times their body weight like squatting deadlifting three four times their body weight People are clean and jerking like two, three times their body weight. Like it's crazy what 
the body is actually capable of. We don't need to go anywhere near that. A, a, a power lifter or an Olympic lifter, that is their actual sport. So they are competing in a contest to lift the absolute maximum weight they possibly can. So they're maxing out a lot of the time. In their training, they need to, to move the needle. So they're going to be pushing that limit to the upper end of the spectrum. We don't need to be anywhere near that level to improve the skill of strength. That is simply what we are aiming to do with our training is improve the skill of maximum force production. We're not trying to train our absolute maximum output for one rep like a power lifter or an Olympic lifter in a contest. We're not getting judged on that. It's simply a tool for us to prepare our body for the demands of our sport. So when we think about that, when we think about we are simply trying to improve the skill of maximum force production. So the weight needs to be heavy enough to stimulate maximum motor unit recruitment. That's what the skill of strength is. It's our brain saying to the muscles, okay, I need to lift this this heavy thing. Let's recruit as many of those muscle fibers as we can, as quickly as we can to make this happen. So that is best done in the three to six rep range to, to train pure strength. So if we're using a weight that we can do 20 reps with, then it's too light. It's not going to achieve the outcome, the adaptation that we're looking to achieve. So the other way you can look at it is if you try to move the weight as fast as you possibly can and it gets a lot faster, then it's probably too light. If you... When, when you've got a heavy weight for an exercise in that three to six rep range, you should be trying to move it as fast as you can, but it's actually not going to move that fast. Like it's going to be reasonably slow when it's, when it's in inverted commas, heavy. Now, the beauty is for, for anyone who's listening to this, if you are a beginner, when you haven't trained strength, um, consistently or at all or done any weight training the external load that you're going to have to use to improve that skill of strength will actually be quite low so you can get that adaptation using lighter weights because it's it's a new stimulus for your brain like anything there needs to be some sort of progression to that it's the same with riding a dirt bike. If we're just going to ride around in second gear all the time at quarter throttle, we're not going to get any faster. So to get faster on the dirt bike, we've got to challenge ourselves to increase our speed. It's the same thing with strength. Like the when we begin the journey, we can use quite light weights and we're going to get stronger for sure. But there will come a point where that light weight that we used six months ago isn't really doing that much for us 
now. So we're going to increase that load a little bit. So like I say, that's a journey for everyone. And there's going to be a certain set of skills that we need to learn to be able to lift weights, heavy weights. If you listen to my podcast I did with Luke the other week, he had never been, like never touched weights before he started training with me to overcome his lower back issue. So, and and obviously he, he was injured as well. He had like a lower back injury. So he spent a lot of time just even just a body weight and with a broomstick at the beginning. Like there was months and months and months and reps and reps and reps using not very much weight at all. So it's going to be different for everyone. Obviously, if you're completely healthy and reasonably fit otherwise and you don't have any existing injuries, that process is going to be obviously a lot quicker for you. The point is it doesn't really matter where you are. It's where do you want to get to? Like if you can envision your future self, like in two years time, where do you want to be? Do you want to be at a point where you can walk into a gym, throw your body weight on a bar, rep out a few squats and a few deadlifts and be like, shit, yeah, that was pretty easy. And it's, it's like, it's, it's routine for you then there's going to have to be like in the next two years, there's going to have to be some skills learned and a process followed to get to that point. So what that, what the, the amount of, I guess, strength or, or the, what I consider to be heavy for that is adequate an adequate level for off-road racing, I believe and I, I, I don't really like throwing these figures out there um, because you can you can definitely be have a lot of success in our sport without reaching these figures and you can definitely have um, more strength and lift heavier than these figures I'm about to give you and still suck at riding a dirt bike. But that the point of our training is is to is so when we're riding the dirt bike, we're not limited by our physical condition. That's the point of our training. So if we go out riding and we're, we're weak and we fatigue early or we can't handle the force that's that we're being required to absorb and produce to, to maneuver the bike, then we're limited by our physical condition. So the whole point of training off the bike is... So when we get on the bike, we're not limited by our physical condition. We're not limited by our strength. We're not limited by our cardiovascular fitness. We only ever want, if our off-bike training is adequate, we only ever want to be limited by our skill on the dirt bike. And that's the whole reason why we ride is to improve our skill. When we can do that, we're going to get faster and we're going to be able to ride the dirt bike longer. So I believe what the level of strength that we need to be able to attain and be working working at is at the low end of the spectrum, 100% of our body weight. So that's a relative term. So obviously, if you weigh 110 kilos, you're going to have 
more mass than someone like me who only weighs 80 kilos. So if you can squat 100 kilos and you weigh 100 kilos and I can squat 80 kilos and I weigh 80 kilos, then we both have the same level of relative strength. You may have squatted more than me, but you're bigger than me. So in terms of relative strength, we're both at the same level. So the entry level, I believe, is 100% of our body weight. Anywhere up to on the higher end of the spectrum is 150% body weight. So one and a half times our body weight. Obviously, like I say, that's on the higher end of the spectrum. I'm not saying you have to be able to achieve that. I believe the low end of that spectrum where like we should be setting some targets to get towards and you're going to experience some huge gains and and it's super safe. It's not going to be... There's certainly no risk of injury or anything like that or doing any, you don't have to do anything silly or crazy or spend five hours a week in a gym to attain that level of strength is being able to squat your body weight for reps. I like it personally. I like to, I'd love to see it on a, like something like a front squat where it's um, a full range of motion and then a hinge, a strict hinge. So I consider a strict hinge to be an RDL where we're maintaining a vertical shin for again, full range of motion. If we can use our body weight, or more for reps comfortably. And I'm not talking about maxing out here, like a one rep max. We want this to be like easy work, not easy work, but like, do you know what I mean? Like it's your, that's okay. I'm going to do five, six reps um, at about seven out of 10. I can do my body weight. That's a really good place to be. You're going to be, have able to handle the force and produce, absorb the force and have the muscular endurance that we need to ride a dirt bike for three hours comfortably. And you're going to be able to achieve that without dedicating your life to living in a gym. Like I've had plenty of clients who train twice a week, so two hours a week in the gym, and they can hit those numbers. Not Again, not talking about instantly, not talking about walking in, hitting them on week three, talking about consistent training, getting into the gym two hours a week, make that a habit, follow the process, learn the skills you need to learn. And that should be relatively achievable for for most people to be able to squat and, and hinge their body weight. So that's, you go, again, if you think about where you want to be in a couple of years time um, and you set that goal, you're going to have to commit to that process and and commit to the consistency. Like I say, it's not a huge, it's a pretty good return on investment if you ask me, like two hours uh, a week in the gym to be able to routinely squat and hinge your body weight comfortably. Like the carryover to that into your life, like the benefits into your life, your longevity, how how you can ride your dirt bike, um, be protected against injury, all of those things. I think for two hours, well worth it, if you ask me. (laughs) Um, So to get to that level, 
like I mentioned before, to get to that level, at the beginning, you can get a ton of progress just using dumbbells and kettlebells. <clears throat> if I have a new client start with me that's that's reasonably new to training or hasn't trained for, for quite some time and they're getting back into it, you don't have to jump straight on a barbell. You don't have to be back squatting on your first week in the gym. You don't have to be deadlifting with a barbell and hinging with a barbell straight away. There's there's like a ton of progress there that, that can be made with dumbbells and kettlebells. So it, like even looking at my the race ready programming that I program for my clients, like even my clients that, that do have access to a barbell, they're not just maxing out on the barbell all the time. Like the first, um, the, the, the primary strength exercise or power exercise in the workout, if they've got access to a barbell, will most definitely be a barbell movement because they can use a little bit more load there and get a, a better stimulus. But then as we move down through the workout and we start doing more of their accessory work, they're definitely using the dumbbells and the kettlebells for those types of exercises. So there's a there's a heap of progress that can be made using dumbbells and kettlebells. If you've only got access to dumbbells and kettlebells, the best way to train with them is to learn how to leverage your own body weight. Obviously, when you've got dumb, like most people, um, you can obviously get if you go to a if you train at like a um, say a commercial gym and it's a good one, then they might have like dumbbells that go up to like 50, 60, 70. Like in some of these bodybuilding gyms, they have like massive rack of dumbbells, but most people will only have access to like 220s. So that's 40 kilos of external load. Um, so for the average guy, again, someone like myself, I weigh 80 kilos, that's 50% of my body weight. So when you're limited as to the load you can use, then you're going to be capped at that. If you've only got 40%, oh, sorry, 50%, You've only got 40 kilos of external load you can use in an exercise. It's 50% of your body weight. You're going to need to learn, and I should say, you're going to need to use movements that leverage your body weight a little bit more to make those exercises a little bit more challenging at the lighter weights. So my what I would be focusing on is... Full range of motion. You don't want to be doing any like partial range reps um, when you've only got light weights and you're trying to improve strength. Like when our clients who are experienced and and again when they sort of hit that hundred percent when they can use a hundred percent of their body weight for reps on a squat and a hinge then we would start to work on like some dynamic effort power training where we might shorten up and go like a partial range like to a box squat and use bands so it's a shorter range you're squatting down to 90 holding the squat at the bottom on a box and then you're exploding up so the weight's a little bit lighter it's a little bit less range of motion so you should be able to move it a lot faster off the box and then we would add bands to that so it's 
like it's a dynamic effort movement and the goal of that exercise is to move it really fast so once we achieve a certain level of strength then we want to be able to convert that strength into power so we do that by improving or increasing the rate of force production so to do that we want to be using weights on a little bit of the lighter side or regressing the range of motion and trying to move them as fast as we can so if you're starting on your journey and you're you've only got dumbbells then that's like that's using dynamic effort and and speed strength is like it's way down the line in terms of progression so we just want to get you stronger so to get you stronger when you've only got 50 percent of your body weight as external load we want to be using full ranges of motion where possible unilateral movements so single leg so split squats um unilateral uh hinge like a single leg rdls things like that um and then leveraging our body weight for and using like inner range movements so an example of an inner range movement for the hamstrings would be something like a nordic curl so uh performing like an rdl the hamstrings are working to extend the hips the inner range of the hamstrings is flexing the knee so when we perform something like a nordic curl we're leveraging our body weight to train the hamstrings to flex the knee so there if you've ever done a nordic curl you'll know how challenging they are and there's zero external load there you're just using your body weight so that's what i would be focusing on full range of motion unilateral movements and training some inner range movements leveraging your body weight so the best exercises to do that that i would be including personally are cyclist squats so a cyclist squat is a heels elevated squat so you can use something like a slant board if you don't have a slant board you can just get a 20 kilo plate on the floor or anything a bit of um, 4b2 timber on the floor kick your heels up on that what that's going to allow you to do is squat down a lot deeper with a vertical torso we want to keep the the chest and the torso upright over the heels and we're pushing the knees forward so we're achieving a deep knee flexion squat with an upright torso so this is going to put a lot more load onto our quads so again that's beneficial when we don't have that much load when we've only got 50 percent of our body weight we can perform something like a cyclist squat full range of motion we're getting the knees into that deep flexion and then exploding up out of the bottom so cyclist squat rearfoot elevated split squat everyone would know them as bulgarian split squats most people freaking hate them i actually love them if you if you've only got dumbbells to train with you want to absolutely own rearfoot elevated split squats you want to like just get to the point where you love them I'd honestly, I'd be doing them every workout. If you've only got dumbbells, I'd be doing rearfoot elevated split squats every session. So if you look at a cyclist squat, it's more of a quad dominant squat pattern. As I said, we're pushing the knees forward and getting deep knee flexion. A rearfoot elevated split squat, it's 
it's still a squat pattern, but it's a more hip dominant because the hips are actually traveling behind the foot and we're not achieving full flexion on the knee. So it's obviously a quad dominant exercise. I should say it's a, it's a squat exercise, but it's more of a hip dominant squat exercise as opposed to your cyclist squat where you're getting a lot more knee flexion. It's a, it's more of a quad dominant. So cyclist squats, rear foot elevated split squats, RDLs, like again, 50% of your body weight should be easy on a, on a bilateral RDL. Um, you can then progress to things like unilateral RDLs. So you can do like a kickstand RDL where you've got your spare foot up against a wall and you're standing on one leg performing the RDL movement. That's a really good way to, to overload the RDL pattern if you've only got dumbbells. Then like again for the lower body, harrop curls and Nordic curls. So they're again, they're both training the harrop curls more of a glute dominant one, but it's training the hamstrings in an isometric position at the knee. And then your Nordic where it's training the hamstrings at knee flexion. So for your lower body, cyclist squats, rear foot elevated split squats, RDLs, harrop curls, Nordics, definitely be in the program. Upper body, if you've only got dumbbells to press with, neutral grip, dumbbell press. So we're turning the dumbbell sideways. So at the bottom, again, it's just a full range of motion. If we've only got dumbbells to use, we want to be using a full range of motion. We're going to open the chest right up, get a nice stretch through the pecs. Um, rotational gorilla rows if you've only got kettlebells you can do them with with dumbbells as well they're a great exercise to get some rotation up through the thoracic something like a renegade row again is another uh, upper body row exercise that is a little bit more challenging because you're in a push-up position so there they challenge core stability things like that and you're probably not going to be able to row as much weight in that position as you would with a normal uh, a normal dumbbell row. So they're a great one to throw in. And then when you're training these exercises and you've only got a little bit lighter weights and dumbbells or kettlebells, like I know uh, before I mentioned that when we're training strength, like pure strength, we're usually working in the three to six rep range. If you've got if you've only got access to dumbbells or kettlebells and the, the weight's a little bit lighter, then I'd be training in the eight to 12 rep range. So you wanna be using a load that when you get, if it's an eight rep set, you get to that eighth rep, you feel like you could only do three or two more reps. So it's a little bit higher because obviously the weights, the weights are lighter. So if we're only doing three reps, with lighter weights we're not really going to get that that stimulus so if we have only got the lower weights then we definitely would be working up in that sort of 8 to 12 rep range um the i guess the hardest thing i think with only having lighter weights or only having dumbbells or kettlebells it's a little bit harder to train the posterior chain so I mentioned uh, the exercises there. Like I'm a big fan of RDLs. RDLs are in every single one of my clients' programs all of the time. They never come out. There's always a version 
or a variation of an RDL in every single program I write. So again, if you've only got dumbbells like 50% of your body weight uh, on a normal bilateral RDL is pretty light. Like it's, it's not super demanding on your lower back. Like an RDL is an awesome exercise for, for strengthening your lower back. So if you're having issues with your lower back, like most people, if you're feeling like your lower back is fatiguing when you're riding, two of the biggest reasons that will be is one can be a a technique thing, can be a riding technique thing. Um, If you're not in a position where you're driving your hips back to actually load your hamstrings, if you're in a position where you're letting your knees come forward, this I'm talking about when you're standing, like in your standing attack position, if you're letting your knees come forward and your lower back is hunched, you flexed, then that can actually overload your lower back. And it means that your hamstrings aren't really doing the work. So ideally when we're in that attack position, the shin stays fairly vertical. We're driving our hips back. And what that does is puts our hamstrings on stretch and, and our glutes obviously as well should be working to support our lower back in that position. So it could be a technique thing. It could also just be that your hamstrings and your glutes are weak. So if you've got weak hamstrings and weak glutes, again, that can cause your lower back to have to do more work when when you're riding your dirt bike. So um, I'd be looking at if you're suffering lower back or you're feeling like your lower back's fatiguing when you're riding, firstly, I'd look at your technique. Secondly, I'd look at strengthening your hamstrings and your glutes. So I always, um, I've spoken about this a fair bit in my content, but however, whenever you do a knee dominant movement, say a squat, if you look at your overall training volume for the week, if you're doing two workouts, your overall, uh, or you're doing three, like whatever it is in the gym, for every squat, there needs to be a, a hinge or a hamstring or a glute exercise. So something that's training the posterior chain. If you're doing like tons of squats, split squats, walking lunges, um, and then you just do one set of RDLs a week, or you do one set of hamstring curls a week, um, and you're doing like five or six other squat variations, there's a massive imbalance there. Like you're doing a ton more volume on the front of your legs than you are on the back of your legs and the back of your body. So we want that to be at least in balance. I've had many clients where we've had to go like way harder on posterior chain strength because for years they've been just training quads and doing no posterior chain training. So we had to revert, like balance their program out. So they still squatted, but squatting was kind of on maintenance. Like they only did like two squat exercises and then they did a ton of posterior chain work like to, to balance that strength out because they lacked a massive amount of strength in their posterior chain. So we needed to balance that out. So when you look at your program, especially if you're experiencing low back fatigue when you're riding or um, pain or anything like that, nine times out of 10, it's going to come down to weakness in that area. So you want to be strengthening that area up so look at your program balance that out for every squat we want to be hitting 
a hamstring, a glute, or a low back exercise, a posterior chain, lots of hip extension exercises. Um, and then obviously to target the low back specifically to isolate that area, something as simple as like a back extension. Super simple exercise. You can rig up, like if you've ever followed my Instagram story, you will have seen me doing back extensions. You can get a bench, um, just a normal bench press bench, jack one end of it up. If you can jack it up on a on a step or a box or something, and then you can just hang your body, like get the end of the bench that's jacked up high, get that in the crease of your hips, and then you're going to have to lock your legs underneath so you wrap your legs around the bottom of the bench. Um, and then you just hinge forward. So you're using the end of the bench as like a back extension and you just hinge forward and then perform back extensions off the end of the bench. So they would be for the lower back area. They'd be my, my biggest tips would be targeting your hamstrings, glutes, RDLs, your harrop curls, your naughty curls. And then you could do some isolation work there with some back extensions, um, so I'm actually working on in January. I hope to have it out mid-January. If not, definitely by the end of January, I'm going to bring out a new program that's specifically for dumbbells and kettlebells. So it's going to be a 15-week program. It's going to be a one-time purchase, so there's no subscription or anything like that. And it's going to be how I would train if all I had access to was dumbbells and kettlebells. Because like I say, there is a ton of progress that you can actually make just using dumbbells and kettlebells if you know how to train correctly with them and, and leverage your body weight, use full ranges of motion, etc. So I'm going to put that program together as a 15-week program. It'll be three five-week phases focused on obviously a massive mobility component, strength and progressing to power and some basic plyometric training. So this program will be for you if you're completely new to training and you just want to have a little setup in your gym with some dumbbells and some kettlebells or you've had a ton of time off training and you're kind of just getting back into things and you just want to ease your way in with dumbbells and kettlebells before you jump back under a barbell. So it'll be three, five week phases, super easy to follow. And it'll be delivered through the race ready training app. So keep, yeah, stay tuned for that. That's going to be coming out in January. I think we've covered all the questions that people sent through on the Instagram uh, post I put up on my story about, about that about heavy strength training. Um, but yeah, like I say, it's just heavy is a relative term. So you don't, the, the absolute goal and I tell all my clients this is to, we should like a proper strength session, like an, a, an actual strength session. We should walk out of the gym feeling better than when we walked in. Like, we're not going to F45 and just fucking smashing ourselves until we throw up on the floor and we walk out feeling like we're dead. That's not a strength training session. That's just 
a metabolic mashup that makes you feel tired that's really you're really not improving any skill or strength per se so a proper strength session you should walk out of the gym feeling better than when you walked in so the weight that is right for you that is heavy for you is the weight that you feel confident enough to use for the rep range that's prescribed in your program that is it if you finish the set or the workout and you're like "Mm, I reckon I could probably do a little bit more well then next week you do a little bit more if you feel the same after that workout then the next week you'll do a little bit more so as we progress we gain more skills our body becomes more accustomed to the load we're placing on it that your confidence within yourself and your ability to use heavier loads is going to progress and that like i've mentioned earlier that's a journey and that's a process it doesn't have to freaking happen overnight be respectful of that process and follow the process learn the skills you need to learn and be patient like i say two years time where do you want to be in two years time it doesn't have to happen overnight and if you're sensible about it you're only going to get better and you're only going to feel better you're not going to get injured you're not going to get hurt if you follow that process and respect the journey along the way so i hope that's helpful if there's any other questions shoot me a dm on instagram if not we will see you all on the next episode until then bye bye